Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast is brought to you by Big Path Capital. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that purpose-driven leaders do business differently. So when it comes to raising capital, leaders like you aren't going to trust their business and its mission to just any investor. Big Path Capital helps mission-driven founders find mission-aligned investors to raise new capital or sell majority or minority parts of their company. Learn more about Big Path Capital and their network of mission-aligned investors at BigPathCapital.com. My guest today is Steve Palmer, managing partner at Indigo Road Hospitality Group. The Indigo Road operates more than 20 restaurants across the Southeast and was recognized by Forbes as one of the 25 best small companies in the U.S. Steve has been recognized not only for his growing presence in the hospitality industry, but also for his charitable and community efforts. Welcome, Steve. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Well, it's just a pleasure. I, I uh, had the opportunity to listen to your story at the Small Giants Summit back in May. And safe to say it was a moving story for all of those that heard it, uh, one of growth, redemption, great uh, learning and success. So I kind of want to start there with how uh, your history in the restaurant business and how you formed Indigo Group some 10 years ago. Sure. So, uh, you know, I started like I think a lot of restaurant people. I, you know, ground up school of hard knocks guy. I, I started washing dishes when I was 13. Uh, I was in a, in a Chinese restaurant in Atlanta, and I was the only English-speaking person there. Um, and every night they would slide a plate of Chinese food back and I didn't even really know what I was eating, but that was kind of my first food memory. That was the first time I found that I was really intrigued by food and, and, um, that kind of began a career. I was a, I've been a cook, a line cook, um, a waiter, a busboy, a sommelier, a vice president of food and beverage, been just about everything that you can do in our industry. And, um, through a series of interesting events in '09, at the height of the recession, um, I founded um, I founded the Indigo Road. I, I kind of often joke that I couldn't find a job, so I started a company. And um, you know that that kind of began the journey that has been the last ten years of the Indigo Road. If I recall, you had some partners or people that got you, if I think maybe still be your partners that started this with you. How did you go about going from just being a worker in the restaurant business all these years to saying, I'm going to actually start a business on my own? Sure. So I, um, I, after being laid off from a big company, I was doing a little consulting work and I got contacted by two gentlemen that are our Wall Street investors. They, they had opened a restaurant in Charleston. Uh, it was not doing well. And so, you know, I agreed to consult for 30 days with really sort of not a long-term mindset. And after the 30 days, we sat down and talked and they wanted me to stay. And, it, you know, I think Many entrepreneurs talk about that sort of one moment where they jumped and took the leap of faith. And 
they wanted me to stay on and I painted, um, which seemed a little crazy given that the restaurant was failing. I painted a picture for them about what a restaurant group would look like and told them my vision for the Indigo Road. And uh, oddly enough, they bought it. So, <laughs> you know, it was about two years later, we had to write the first ship. But within two years, we had opened our second concept. And, you know, then in the last eight, we're now at 24. So I was in, you know, call it right time, right place, call it you know, taking a risk, but I knew that I knew that I was ready to start my own company. And, and, uh, so it was a little bit of divine timing, I think. Now, what got them to reach out to you that first time? How did they know you or what was your overall kind of standing in the industry? Um, you know, I've had a long career. I had a good resume. I've had great mentors. Um, and I, I was kind of, I'm kind of known around the Southeast and, and had spent a lot of time in Charleston, which is where we're based and where the first restaurant was. And it was just through some conversations they had with other business leaders um, that my name came up. So it was just sort of a, a recommendation from somebody else. Now, I know uh, in listening to your story that you had some personal struggles that you were going through. Was that at the similar time as, as starting the business? No, no. So I, um, I'm a person in recovery. I've been sober about 18 years now. I had, at that point, um, I was sober eight or nine years, but, um, certainly, um, and that connects to later in the company's history, our philanthropic outreach, but uh, certainly could not have started a business with drug and alcohol, you know, with the issues that I was facing earlier in my career. Uh, but I was already on the road to recovery when I met my partners. Great. Uh, so talk about the company today. How many restaurants do you have? What's the size, uh, number of employees, that kind of thing. So our audience gets a, a sense of how you've grown. Sure. So we're a total uh, by October will be 24 restaurants um, across the Southeast and in Washington, D.C. We will we're about 1200 employees. And it's it's you know, it's really been a rapid growth. It's been a, a rapid pace. But but our growth is the story of our people. We are heavy in the belief that promoting from within is always the better choice. Uh, the COO of the company, the number two, was a waiter seven years ago. Um, <laughs> so that's our success story. Most of the, we have a group, we call them the senior leaders. They're kind of our internal board of directors. And all of them started at a lesser or secondary position and have grown as the company's grown. And that really has been the success for our develop, for us developing a culture that was our own, for maintaining the culture that our And it's also, I think, as we look to the future, it will be, you know, the, the, that gener the younger generation in the company, their desire to grow, which will sort of propel us forward. You know, I uh, jumped into the restaurant business myself about a year ago with an existing restaurant in Southern California, very small, about 20 employees. And so I know what the dishwasher does and the line cook does. And I've, I've learned the business over the last year. And, and I see how hard it is 
to do what you just described, which is to develop people from within and in a very transient industry, hard to keep people, hard to get people, hard to find uh, leadership talent. So uh, how did you make that transition yourself from holding pretty much every one of those positions to becoming a leader who could lead a company now that has 1,200 employees with 24 restaurants? I think the biggest thing, uh, a mentor of mine, Danny Meyer in New York, has a term, uh, curious intelligence. Uh, So that sort of desire to always want to learn. And I, 20, 25 years ago, really understood that leading people was, um, I've always said that great leadership is when you get a group of people to do what the organization needs them to do in a way that the employee feels good about, has buy-in and believes in. And I knew that at a very young age. And so I really start as much as I've worked on my career, I've always taken time to attend growth seminars, to seek other people's counsel, to seek people to seek people out that have done what I had aspired to do that had, you know, could offer sort of a a way showing uh, leadership for me. So I've always known that, you know, leading people, um, and I believe this firmly, is an act of service. It's not about climbing some sort of ladder to, for the satisfaction of self. It's about how can I be better for the people that I'm leading? And when you can really tune into that, and if you really believe that, then you're in a constant state of self-improvement and self-evolvement. Uh, you know, I mean, here's the truth about the restaurant industry. We are epidemically short-staffed across the nation. So I wake up every day with the knowledge that my employees have a choice, and they can quit our restaurants today and most likely get hired by this afternoon if they want to. So I need them a lot more than they need me. And when you operate from that place, I think there's a desire to be a better leader at all times. And when I really understood that leadership was about serving the people I was leading instead of them serving me, it completely changed the way I saw uh, uh, developing people, the kind of people that I was looking for to be leaders with me. Because if you don't have that sort of servant leader's ethos, it's it's a very hard thing to teach. You can cultivate it in someone if it's already there, but if it's not there, it's very hard to teach. So in a nutshell, I, you know, I just really got, I, I really was very focused, continue to be focused on being a leader for me means serving the people that I lead. Yeah, I love that approach. And it, it's so true. Uh, when you talk about Danny Meyer, I had the opportunity to meet Danny a couple of times and he was written about in the origin, original a uh, small giants book and uh and and actually my jumping into the restaurant business had to do with uh me meeting this this the owner of the restaurant the founder um around discussing Danny's book setting the table so sure. um and and just the the idea of having mentors like Danny uh finding people with some level of success uh that maybe more than you had at the time is really one of the best ways to to grow. You said that you you had some of these sensibilities early on. I want to kind of take you back to when you grew up um, and influences you might have had from your your parents or early jobs. Where do you think this started to form or any stories related to that? So childhood, you know, I, I my grandfather was um, the captain of the Georgia Bulldogs in the 1940s before he went off to war. 
a, a World War II veteran. He was this big personality, and he was somebody that had a big influence on my life young. Uh, my father died at 10, so in terms of and, – and our family life was kind of a mess. But, but my grandfather was someone that really taught me about the power of integrity, about the power of honoring your word. And it was really wasn't until about 22, my first mentor in business, a guy by the name of Chris Goss, was opening a restaurant here in Charleston. And he just exuded that sort of Danny Meyer quality. He he I remember my first day of training and this was 1990. So before Top Chef, before foodies, before, you know, the current foodie culture that we live in. And he said, you know, Steve, people go out to dinner to have an experience, not to eat. If it was just to eat, they would stay home and save the money. We have a front row to engagements, birthday parties, friends that haven't seen each other. And we get this wonderful privilege and have a responsibility to create an experience for people. And at 22 years old, that would today, that probably wouldn't sound that profound, but, you know, 28 years ago, it, it was like Moses was speaking. I, and and, I, and I, that was really my first light bulb moment is what I call them, where I sort of looked around and understood that hospitality was about taking care of people. It wasn't about the physical act of serving food. Mm. And, and Chris was my mentor for many years after that and continues to be somebody in my life that I look to as a, as a guide. How do you attribute what you went through personally uh, with the way you run your business today? Um, you know, you like you said, been sober 18 years. Uh, you come from an industry where that's kind of prevalent in, in parts of the industry. Uh, Very much so. It's, it's, uh, and it's, I understand it's a big part of how you operate in your life today in terms of uh, people who are going through similar things. How do you have you dealt with that? Sure. So, you know, I think going through the process of recovery, um, at least for me, I'm I'm certainly wouldn't claim to be an authority on recovery, but going through that process taught me about accountability and it taught me about leading from a place of integrity and building trust. And that if your employees can't trust that you're going to do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it, that there can be no trust, then, then you, you're, you're not leading. And I've been able to sort of, it, it's interesting, I've been able to build a company on this idea of self-awareness, self-reflection from the leadership, vulnerability, owning our mistakes, owning 100% of our decisions, good and bad, standing behind them, um, and I learned all of that by getting sober. And so mm-hmm. uh, it's been really a gift to teach people. And I don't mean people that are need to be sober, but people that are new to leadership about just how valuable honoring your word is, how valuable active listening is, how, va- how valuable making amends when you have not lived up to the things that you said. And you know, I think for a long time in leadership, there's been this sort of idea. I think it's getting shattered now. But as a leader, you're not supposed to admit to the people you're leading that you did something wrong or that you're not perfect or that you don't have all the answers. And and what we find is there's so much power and vulnerability in sitting with your group and saying, listen, I don't have the answer. 
what do you think? Mm-hmm. And, and when you can tap into that collaborative spirit, any company is so much more powerful for it. So I think getting sober really shaped all of those principles for me. And, and it's, uh, it is very much the way I lead the company today. Can you think, Steve, of, of an unexpected learning from an unexpected source somewhere along the way? You know, well, I think any uh, any business person, I've learned a lot about what I don't want to do uh, from people. And, and I do believe that everyone in our life is teachers. I don't have a specific example, but I would say that I continue to learn from the employees, from the people that are just beginning a career in hospitality. I continue to learn as as generations pass. There's so much talk about the millennials talk about Generation Z. I think by being a leader that still very much wants to listen to the people that I work with, I continue to learn by the, from, from and by the employees. You know, uh, I can't help but to just think about my short experience in the restaurant business and dealing with the, the employees that we have. I built my whole career talking about culture and employee engagement and the relationship between culture and building a profitable business and, and, uh, and had some success in doing that in my companies. And yet in the restaurant business, it's been challenging so far, because like you said, uh, people can quit this morning and have another job this afternoon, or, or as much as you feel like you treat them well, if it's for another dollar an hour, they might just go. My sense is, that you've been able to turn that on its head a little bit in your own organization and create an area where you probably have low uh, attrition and people hang hang out. You know, from a practical standpoint, what are the kinds of things you're doing in the culture to keep people loyal to you? And not to you, but to the company overall. Well, I think um, several things, and and you know, listen, we're we're all dealing with those challenges. That, I mean, hopefully, we're having more success than, than failures, but we still have days where things are challenging with turnover. I, I think fundamentally we're listening and my commitment to the employees is that we will always listen, that we may not be able to always agree, but that we'll always listen, that their opinion will be heard, that they do have a voice at the table. Um, I also think that, you know, and this is where being a big restaurant group is its benefits, we're able to, we have a home loan buying program uh, where we loan the employees their down payment and we make no money on it. It's an interest-free loan. So we're trying to help solve home ownership for a lot of our employees. Um, mental health is obviously a big topic. Um, we offer mental health you know, therapeutic sessions for free as a company. And I think the other side of retention on the positive is, you know, the thing about, uh, I always say this, that, you know, big restaurant groups sometimes get criticized. Uh, but when you have a group, you can offer promotions to people. You can offer, hey, you're a line cook today, but you can be a sous chef tomorrow. You can be an executive chef in a year. And I think that's one of the really vibrant things that a growing company does is it does create a path. You know, the restaurant business Historically, there's been a fairly low ceiling on compensation. And I always say, listen, I'm not going to advertise. We'll pay 20% more than anybody else because I'm subject to all of the same rising rent, rising food costs. I mean, I'm, I'm, 
subject to all the things that all the other operators are. But, you know, every management book that's ever been written says that people don't leave jobs, they leave managers. And so I really believe if we create a better culture, if we show our employees we care in other ways, that's not to say we're very competitive in our pay, but it's it's the culture that keeps people. And culture is a living, breathing thing, right? I mean, it's not something you go, okay, we have a good culture. Culture evolves on a day-to-day basis, and it's either good or bad or in transition. But I think we continue, we're matching tuition for anybody that wants to go to culinary school now. So we're continuing to find other ways to let our employees know we care about them to create the right environment. And with, you know, most days with pretty good success, I won't say it's every day. Yeah. And that's part of it is just realizing you're never going to bat a thousand percent. Um, that's right. You just want to have more, uh, hits than misses. Uh, you, are also very involved in giving back to the community. Tell, tell our audience about Ben's friends. Sure. Sure. Thank you for asking. Um, so as you alluded to substance abuse, has long been, sadly, uh, historically sort of an accepted norm in our business. And it was sort of the work hard, play hard mentality. I think even at a time there was sort of a glorification of the bad boy chefs. And, and you know, it was just long accepted that, hey, if you worked in the restaurant business, there were drugs, there was alcohol. It was just part of the ethos and when I got sober, uh, I, I knew no one in the industry that was sober. And so uh, when I started my company, the desire to give back in that way was very strong. And the clarity came, sadly, in the form of, of a tragedy. We had a chef, Ben Murray, who we didn't know was struggling. And uh, he was helping us open a restaurant, and we were putting him up in a hotel. It was a remote location. And Ben had been struggling with alcohol and drugs and sadly, one night after work, went to his hotel room and committed suicide. And, you know, I think there were so many sad ironies about that situation. The first of them being we had three sober chefs working in the kitchen that night with Ben and he knew that there were they were in recovery. So I was immediately struck with, you know, what is it in our culture in the restaurant culture that Ben didn't feel like he could pull somebody aside and say, Hey, how are you doing this? Cause I'm not able to. And, and so I really was struck by, we need to change the conversation in our industry. We need to uh, really and truly make it okay for people to not be okay. And so um, from that perspective, Mickey Basque, who was a restaurateur in Charleston and a fellow sober person. We started a group called Ben's Friends. Uh, It is a weekly support group that meets to run by people of sobriety that are specifically in the restaurant business that are attempting to help other people. And we'll be three years old in November. And I'm, I'm really proud to report that we've launched a Ben's Friends in 10 cities. It's now a movement. Uh, It is coming at a time where our industry is is really open to having this conversation on a national level. And I will tell you, it is, it is, uh, it is my life's most important work. Um, and, and I, I see it as uh, legacy sounds like a lofty word, but I, the restaurant industry has given me a life that, that I could have never imagined. And, 
and I, I, I have a deep desire to leave the industry better than I found it. And I believe that we're making a difference through Ben's Friends. I want to Ben's Friends in all 50 states. We're, we're growing as fast as we can, but it's, it's really beautiful now. We have people that are celebrating two years of sobriety, and they, would, they say, I knew what the steps I needed to take because I came to Ben's Friends. That's, that's just incredible. When you uh, think about leadership, too, I always say that it's just about the impact you're having on other people's lives. And, that's right. Uh, and to do that, not only for your own employees, but for others that are in this industry, uh, clearly you're changing the world in your, in your small, special way. And uh, um, you deserve great congratulations for that. Uh, as you think about the company today, Stephen, and, and uh, how you're uh, you're growing. What's what's the the next you know three to five years look like? Uh, are your partners looking for some level of growth? Are you looking for an exit down the road? I mean, what does the future look like for Steve? I think you know there's no specific exit strategy, and I get you know in entrepreneur circles with it. That's always sort of the conversation and. There are a few of our restaurants that we've duplicated uh, in multiple cities that certainly at some level there would be a desire to sell those, but there's no imminent plans. You know, I see the company continuing to grow. Hotels is an area that, that of hospitality that we would like to explore and are actively in conversations. We're already in third-party management uh, contracts in hotels running the food and beverage side, but we will continue to grow. I, I'm turning 50. My, the average age of, of my senior leader team is mid thirties. Um, and you know, we sort of annually, I kind of say, okay, this is what last year's revenues are, are what are your goals? And, and everybody at the table says, let's keep growing. So, uh, my investment partners have been fantastic. Um, uh, in a, very fortunate situation there. Uh, and so the ability to grow from a capital point of view is there. But it also, you know, needs to make sense. And, and you touched on it. it. It does it enrich the lives of our of, of our employees. And if that so long as that continues to be true, then I think that we'll continue to grow for sure. Steve, can you think of maybe in the last few years, uh, as you continue to learn a really tough or humbling decision that you've had to make? I think, well, listen, there's been some folks that we've had to part ways with, and that's, you know, anybody that's been in leadership has had to make that decision. I, I, every year we have an annual leadership retreat. Uh, we have several, but every January, we've got about 100 leaders in a room, and the thing that I say is the worst thing that we ever do to our culture is to keep someone longer than we should. And so it's a little bit of a conundrum when you say, hey, we put our employees first and we deeply care about them. To then say, hanging on to people longer than we should is ultimately detrimental to the, to the culture. And that has been a humbling lesson as I've had to say goodbye to some long-term employees. And it continues to be, I think, the number one enemy of a culture-driven company. Well, I don't think you have to apologize for that. I uh, I think that that's, that's part of leadership. Um, I think our biggest challenge is we just wait too long. And, uh, that's right. you know, it's a tough thing to do, of course, but uh, 
you know, I think it might have been Jim Collins who said that, you know, when you know in your heart that someone doesn't belong in the organization long term, you have an obligation to act now, um, not only for your own employees, but but for that person who might thrive somewhere else. Um, and uh, and so we all have to get better at that. But I, to me, that is part having that discipline is part of having a great culture. Having a great culture is not just a place where you party all the time and and uh, have fun events. It is making right. tough decisions to have the right people um, on the team. If you think about, again, this uh, your continued curiosity uh, in, in your growth, is there a part of leadership you feel like you still need to work on? Uh, wow, I've never been asked that. Huh. You know, I, I don't. That's a great question. You know, so, so communication or you right. I mean, how can you lead people if you don't communicate? I, um, I'm six, five and two fifty. This is going to sound a little random to your question. So I'm intimidating. I'm mm-hmm. physically intimidating. And, and, and one of the constant themes in my leadership career has been Steve, you're intimidating. <laughs> and so, and so, you know, and I fairly early realized like, and so you see leaders that say, well, I'm not intimidating. And what I realized quickly was, listen, even if I'm not doing anything wrong, right? If I'm doing it all, quote unquote, right, but people are afraid to talk to me, then I'm the one that loses. So I think the sort of that on the journey, but never quite going to get there piece for me is finding ways to continue to be approachable, not only because of my physical size, but listen, at this point, there's a thousand employees. It's much different than when we had two or three restaurants and I was in them every night. Approachability and vulnerability is something that, um, because I, I am absolutely convinced when your team is afraid to talk to you, the organization suffers and the leader suffers. So um, I find that that is my constant journey, being more approachable. Yeah, and uh, hey, I'm five eleven, a buck eighty, and uh, I still had that same problem at times. Sure, uh, sure. So it's uh, yeah, I could see you're uh, having met you. You can be an imposing figure, but uh, so all the more reason to try to make people feel comfortable. And you know, when you're a leader of a, an organization or even a leader of a team, that by itself can be intimidating. And so right. to get people to feel comfortable with you, uh, willing to open up and share. Uh, is is always a challenge. So that's that's one you'll continue to to work on. Um, well, finally, Steve, what what kind of advice would you give someone? I, I don't want to limit it to the restaurant business because I think business, by and large, in the editing industry is similar. But I love how you have been able to take people on the inside in the restaurant business who just like you were were on a line or washing dishes, and you've made them into great leaders. So what kind of advice would you give others in the industry who are maybe just starting out and that they can actually make a career, a really great career in this industry? Well, I think that um, several things, specific to the restaurant business first, the thing I love about our industry is it's an even playing field, uh, right? I mean, you don't have to have a master's degree in anything to be in the restaurant. You don't have to have grown up in a certain background. I've always said the, the restaurant business uh, is, is a unique environment that as long as you're willing to show up, work hard, and be a part of a team, then there is a place for you. I have never been afraid in my career to work for a better organization, even if it meant I was in a 
secondary position from the one I currently held. If I've done anything right in my career prior to owning my own business, I chose the right people to learn from. I, I, I wasn't hung up on titles. I wasn't hung up on, of course, it's natural when you move from one to the next job to get more pay, to get to move, to move quote unquote up. But I, I have always been a big advocate of, I would rather work using a sports metaphor. I'd rather play on the Super Bowl team and be in a secondary role than play on the worst team in the league, but be on the starting, be a starter. And um, the second piece is not being afraid to ask for what you want. Two of the jobs, big jobs, a, a vice president of hospitality job, I had, uh, I got in a company that didn't have a, the position yet. And I walked up to the CEO who barely knew me. Uh, and I said, this is what I want to do. And so I was willing to bet on myself in mm. that way. And it was a little scary because I didn't really know what I was doing. But I was reasonably convinced that my enthusiasm and work and work ethic would get me there. And it turned out to be one of the most profound jobs that I ever had. And it ultimately is what prepared me to be an entrepreneur. Well, it's uh, it prepared you well. And, and uh I really offer great congratulations for what you've done, Steve, uh, I would say so far. Uh, and uh, whether your legacy is 30 restaurants or 40 restaurants or Ben's friends in 50 states, uh, you are clearly making a difference. And, and uh, I, I congratulate you on everything that you've done. I want to end you with these five quick hit questions like the association game. Just kind of name the first thing that comes to your mind. Uh, sure. Can you name a leader that you look up to? Danny Meyer. Yeah, he's just wonderful. How about a great book that influenced your leadership style? Uh, recently, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Mm, good one. Uh, what's your all-time favorite movie? Oof. Wow. I'm a, I'm a movie nerd. I know this is supposed to be rapid fire. Uh, eek. Um, all-time favorite movie, Big Night. Big Nights. Big Night. Okay. It's about two Italian brothers who open a restaurant. Oh. <laughs> uh, how about a, do you have a favorite TV series you like to binge watch? Uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. It's huge. That's great. And, and lastly, what's something about you that many people don't know? Uh, growing up, I was in theater. I sang in musicals. I was Baloo the Bear in the Jungle Book. <laughs> so, Yeah. Uh, that maybe that big personality maybe came from your grandfather. <laughs> That's um, right. Yeah. Uh, well, great. I, it's been such a pleasure to to hear your story, and I know our listeners will feel the same way. I want to sh reflect on some of the things that you shared that that I took away um, that seemed to uh, influence you and and uh, were really important parts of of your growth. Uh, of course, you know your early struggles that gained your sobriety eighteen years ago, and and. Uh, the what led up to that, um, the early lessons from your grandfather, um, just about hard work and integrity, having this sense of curious intelligence that you learned from Danny Meyer, uh, so that you've always felt the need to learn and grow, uh, always, whether it's attending seminars, reading books, just soaking up things and finding people that you could uh, reach out to who were always willing to give you their time. Uh, I think that sometimes people are uh, feel intimidated uh, to even ask people with experience and not realizing that they're 
by and large, so willing to give and share their experiences with you. And you took full advantage of that. Chris Goss, your early restaurant mentor, who really showed you very early on in your restaurant career, uh, what it truly meant uh, to offer hospitality, to offer an experience more than just uh, serving someone dinner. That your recovery, how that taught you about accountability. And to me, there's just nothing more much more important in business, maybe trust, but then it's accountability is just simply doing what you say you're going to do. Being a vulnerable leader and knowing that you, it's okay to listen. You mentioned, you know, saying, I'm not sure, you know, what do you think? And um, I always quote that as William Marriott, who said those seven important words, I don't know, what do you think? That if we could just have a little bit of patience, sit back and wait for others to give us their thoughts, it's probably the right answer. And then we're going to give them credit for it. And they're going to feel good about it. What you've done with Ben's friends, you know, for taking what was a very tragic circumstance um, in a way that, as you said, you want to change the conversation uh, in this industry and allow people to be open and to share and to overcome uh, together by uh, establishing those peer groups, I think is uh, just fantastic. Understanding that building a great culture means making tough decisions and having the discipline to let people go and not keep people longer than they should be there is is really important. And lastly, the advice that you gave to others, and particularly as you think about the restaurant industry, it's true. I, I just, in our small restaurant that I became involved in the last year, we have 20 employees, but I just love them. I mean, the, the creativity, the backgrounds, you know, where they're from, the passion for life, you know, even if they may be part-time people, uh, like you said, it's an even playing field. It's a, not a matter of what education you have. You just got to be willing to work hard, be on a team, have good values, and, and, and there's a chance for you to do really great things. And lastly, how you got to choose the right people to learn from. Sometimes we probably make the wrong choice or choose the wrong people. But along the way, there's uh, if your instincts are right, you're going to find great people who are willing to share and are going to help you grow. And, uh, and uh, you've done a great job of that. And I just want to congratulate you again, Steve. And thank you for sharing your story with us today. I certainly appreciate it. Thank you for asking. And thank you for joining me on this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please support the show by subscribing to hear future episodes. Until next time.